don't have a Bible, you're welcome to get up um, or raise your hand and someone will grab you one and you can follow along with us in that. If you don't own one, go ahead and keep that copy. Anybody need a Bible this morning that forgot theirs at home? Anybody? Nobody ever, can, no, nobody ever admits that they forgot their Bible in church. I get it. Um, this morning's sermon is a, as I studied it this week, um, I found myself very convicted, and I think the sermon this morning is a great one for where our culture is headed. Um, whenever you try to make plans with someone, what do, what do people typically say? Or if I tried to make plans with you, what would you tell me? <laughs> Talk to my wife. Good idea. That's wis- that is wisdom. I'm busy is, is, a, is a buzzword. It's almost like a badge of honor in our culture. People feel busy. Uh, people's schedules are packed a lot of times. And this passage we find ourselves with this morning is one that really digs into the issue of busyness. And I don't know what your personality is. I tend to be more driven in my personality. I like to go. Momentum. I was a running back in football, so I like to break through things and keep running until I get to the end zone. And uh, this one here is very convicting. At least it'll be convicting for me, so I'm happy to share it with you this morning. But let's stand together and read Luke chapter 10. I'll read it. Go ahead and just follow along. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Let's stand to honor God's word this morning. It says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now, as we dig into it, go ahead and be seated. Thank you. If you have a bulletin, in the back there are some, there's a place for notes uh, that you can write down some thoughts maybe for later on. Here is one to write down. If you're going to tune out for the rest of the sermon, let me give you kind of a summary point of the, of the sermon here. Here's the summary point. The ever-present Jesus, or Son of God if you want, the ever-present Jesus invites us to drop distraction and do life with him. The ever-present Jesus invites us to drop distraction and do life with him. Okay? You ever have a spiritual high before? You ever go to a camp? I remember taking groups of teens to the RCA Dome to a thing called Acquire the Fire. Anybody ever been to Acquire the Fire? Concert, a couple of you guys have. And uh, man, I'll tell you, it was a great time. You had thousands and thousands of people gathered in the RCA Dome and uh, singing powerful worship music by uh, 
popular Christian recording artists. You would have Ron Luce and his crew preaching. Very passionate guy, and it would get you so fired up for the Lord. If you, they, man, they had like light shows. John, you remember this? The light shows, and, and one year they had pyrotechnics, and then that thing with Great White happened. They couldn't do that, I guess. But it was, it was if, if nothing, if it didn't move you, at least emotionally, you were like a flatliner. And um, boy, the teens used to leave there. We would have an after-action review, and we would talk about it. And the teens were so fired up for the Lord. And um, at first, when I first became a youth pastor, I'm like, wow, they're like, finally got it. And, you know, they're excited about the Lord. They're following him. And, and some would do well, and then some others would come back down off that spiritual high. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've experienced that, maybe gone to a Christian concert or heard a phenomenal preacher or read a book, something just convicted you. Think about that this morning. Uh, one spiritual high in our area was called the Jesus Movement in the six, late 60s, and I didn't know this, but it lasted to the late 80s and eventually spread across the whole country. And do you remember the Jesus? Anyone here remember the Jesus Movement at all? Yeah. It was a great time. I've heard a lot about it. Um, I was alive during that time, but I missed it. I was in a church that was called, the, we called ourselves the Frozen Chosen. And no Jesus movement was going to impact us for the Lord, that's for sure. <laughs> you know? And um, there were people coming to the Lord during this time. People were being baptized. People were uh, packing the house. The place was packed. Um, we talk about 80-20% rule. There's no such thing as that when the Lord is in the house. And, and people were amazed and watched the Spirit move in power. And uh, I guess Calvary Chapel was, was instrumental in that in this area, right? Um, a huge blessing from the Lord. Now, like I said, firsthand, I wasn't impacted because we didn't get into that Jesus stuff at our church. However, I was impacted secondhand. I went to uh, college and heard of a guy named Keith Green. And I know this makes me sound old and boring, but I love Keith Green. I can't, a week doesn't go by that I'm not jamming to Keith Green somehow. Uh, Maranatha praise music and things like this came out of the Jesus movements. Uh, I have some friends who have been church leaders and they used to talk about this Jesus movement and they've been used to the Lord greatly. Now, now these, now these friends of mine, they're stuck in the Jesus movement. Like they're always in the rearview mirror of, of life, but they don't know this, but they're making an impact for Christ now. And they, some of these guys have really impacted me for the Lord. Do you ever wish for the good old days when you could be in that spiritual high again? Do you ever wish you could sit at the feet of Jesus like back in the day? And even greater in this story, these guys were actually sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I would rather have that any. That would be awesome to sit at his actual feet. This morning I want to hop into a into a time machine and, and into a little house in Israel and watch one of these times where people are sitting at the feet of Jesus and see if we find ourselves there. So let's, let's journey together. Verse, uh, verse 38. Uh, point number one is this. One thing I gleaned from this passage is to embrace the reality that Jesus is always with you. Embrace the reality that Jesus is always with you. Verse 38. 
Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now you've got to understand a little context in order to understand this passage. In Luke 10, right before this, Jesus had just sent 72 guys away from him. So this passage, they're in close proximity to Jesus, okay? But right before that, Jesus told the people, get out of here, go away from me, you 72 people, and go proclaim and pray. Proclaim Christ and pray uh, that the Lord would move. Then in Luke 9, you find that Jesus sent out 12 people to proclaim. They sent him, them, that he sent them away from him. But this is a time where they come together. They had a job to do at certain times, but now it's time to be close to Jesus. And I want to address something that I've heard for the last 12 years. And uh, I asked a worship leader once, what is the point of life? And uh, what's the point of worship? And he said, just to sit at the feet of Jesus. And um, given my personality, I thought, that's boring. <laughs> you know, I want to do stuff for him, not just... But what he was trying to do, I think, was, was something that was a little bit, seemed a little off to me. I think in order to understand um, this passage, we've got to know what the word sit means. And before we do, there's a few things um, that I've seen people do that interpreted this passage incorrectly. A couple, three unhealthy views that I've seen. Unhealthy view number one. What some mean by the word sitting today is to sit together or alone and sing and read the Bible and pray and listen. Those are excellent things. Those are good things. Yes, we want to sit at Jesus' feet and be with him, right? However, for some people, there is a false belief that Jesus is only sitting in your living room or only somewhere around this pulpit or only in your prayer room, or that he only inhabits a location where there is praise or prayer or Bible study or small groups or meditation. And while he is there with us during those times, he is not limited to those places. When I was at Moody Bible Institute, um, I had just, well, when I had just graduated, Moody was a time of intense prayer and intense study of God's word. And it was, talk about a highlight of life. I remember the first night I had graduated, I came home, I was laying in bed, and I thought to myself, I miss God. And I felt kind of sad, like I had abandoned God somehow, like God was stuck at Moody Bible Institute, all right? And I remember being really kind of depressed about that. And the Lord said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that was it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's not stuck at Moody Bible Institute. He is actually with me in my room. And uh, that meant a lot to me. Let me read Psalm 139. Open up to it. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. The Lord says this. Where... Or rather, the author says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, 
you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. God is with us no matter where we are. He's not stuck in a church building. All right, so let's remember that. We could sit at his feet outside of some Bible study or something like that. Unhealthy view number two that I've heard. Some people feel that they have to conjure, that's the key word, conjure, Jesus to be with them. You hear this when people pray, God, please be with us today. Anybody hear, hear that prayer in Christian circles? God, please be with us today. What does that mean? He is with, when, I'm, when I hear that in prayer, I'm thinking, he is with us. And I just do, I do my own little prayer. I'm like, Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. I didn't mean to step on your toes, but that's just what I think. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is closer than a brother. Even when we are sitting at a basketball game, he is there. Maybe a better way to pray would be, God, I ask that you would work powerfully among us. Or help us to set aside distraction so we can learn from you and enjoy the blessing of worshiping you. Now, there's other people who, other religions, try to conjure God to do certain things. There are groups that light candles to try to get God's presence. There are groups that do drugs in order to connect with God. There are many who do chants or mantras, figuring God will have to listen to them if they do. Or there's many who try to earn his presence. If I'm good enough, then maybe God will want to be with me. There are certain people that wear certain clothing. The uh, Latter-day Saints, they wear special clothing in order to enjoy God's presence better, try to get him to manipulate him to be with them. Some people do certain yoga positions in order to connect with the spirit. Some people don't eat certain things or eat certain things. They believe that food turns into the Lord, and he's there with them. People try to manipulate their atmosphere and emotion to feel God or to conjure God, which brings us to unhealthy view number three. There are some who also believe that they were with Jesus successfully only if they have had an emotional experience. Similar to, I would say, um, you know that, you know when you go to a baseball game and they do the national anthem? Did you ever have where the Jets, the F-18s fly overhead? Did you ever do a national anthem you get like the tingly, goosebump feeling? Anybody ever get like that when you hear national anthem? I know you're not supposed to talk about the national anthem today, but, but uh, boy, I feel a Holy Ghost moment when the national anthem is played, I suppose. You know, it's the same emotion that people are trying to conjure when they're trying to get God to connect with them. You may have heard this phrase before. They say things like, boy, God really showed up today. 
so that what might these people conclude? One, they conclude that the spirit only works through emotion or that there are certain holy spirit emotions and then there's the rest of emotion. So they end up being controlled by these emotions or moods, which they may wrongly call the spirits leading. You hear people like that say things like, I just wasn't feeling it. To quote Journey, it's more than a feeling. Now the spirit can work through emotion, but sometimes the spirit's going to lead you to do things that you may not feel up to. I think of Jesus in the wilderness or Jesus in the garden where he says, Lord, if possible, would you take this cup from me? Jesus probably wasn't feeling great when he was on the cross. Paul wanted, he had a desire, a passion to travel to Macedonia. And the Lord said, no, you can't go. So the spirit can work through emotion, but sometimes he works in spite of emotion. Sometimes God will have us do things we don't want to do. And everything in us might scream, no, I don't want to do it. But we obey anyhow. When I was in college, my friend Rusty, um, I was going to mention his name. Uh, he, he was walking doing his daily college life. Maybe some of you have had this happen. And this girl comes up to him who he's never met before. And she says, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. And Rusty just didn't know who this was. And, and uh, what do you say to that? I mean, would you say, you're wrong, I have the corner on the Holy Spirit, and I just know you're wrong? Do you say, do you submit to what God told her and say, okay, I'll marry you? What do you do, what do, you do with that? I mean, you don't want to seem rude. So Rusty, I think, I think he had a good answer. He said, you know, that's funny because the Lord hasn't led me to that same conclusion. <laughs> you know, who's, who's right in it? I don't know. Maybe he was, I don't know. I'll get into that a little bit more later. Now, one caveat to this is sometimes emotion, I guess, could be discernment. You know, sometimes the Lord may use emotion to show you this isn't a good thing here or this is a great thing. And that's why it's important for you to walk with Jesus and to discern those things. You've got to take that time with him to discern through those situations. The issue is not, is Jesus with us? He is. He is omnipresent. There's your theological word for today, or all-present, or ever-present. He is able to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He indwells the individual believer. He is in the depths, the heights, the shadow, and the light. He is with the believer who is at peace, and he is with the believer who is in crisis. The question is not, is Jesus with us, but are you with Jesus? We need to embrace the reality that Jesus is always with you. Now, his disciples did an awful lot of walking. They weren't always sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were sometimes covered in the dust of Jesus. Jesus was known as a traveling rabbi. And um, our second point comes in the next verse. Our point is, don't allow distractions to keep you from Jesus. Don't allow distractions to keep you from Jesus. There was a pastor who hiked the Appalachian Trail, and uh, he got back to church. 
And um, someone asked him how the trail hike was. Obviously, it's Shelly's dad because he spoke here. And he said, you know, I miss God. So he's going to church, yet he missed God. He felt, or he understood the, I don't know what it was, the presence of God was greater or something like that on the Appalachian Trail. And my thought is, you know, I agree with him. I get so busy, and on the trail, all you do is walk, and you have time to enjoy conversation with God. I can understand how he got there, you know, that, that he missed that unhurried pace where he could spend some time with the Lord. Don't allow distractions to keep you from Jesus. Our story continues. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. You got to understand, in that culture, hospitality is a huge deal. It's a giant privilege to have someone come under your roof. As I've shared before, when we were in the Middle East, the Bedouin, we went hiking, we're 13 of us or something like that, 13 people randomly decided to come to this woman's tents. All right, which anybody here, if you had 13 people come over, if you had a whole youth group come to your house just randomly, how would you feel about that? You'd be like, oh, great. You know, you'd probably sin is what you do. Uh, so we walk up to her tents. What do they do? All the ladies get the coals going, and they get the fire hot, and they start making roti bread for us, and they're cooking that, and they're getting some hot tea together for us, and, and they invite us to come, 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 sit, sit. We all sat in a huge circle, and they were furiously working to be a blessing and to love on us and treat us with honor because they, we were their guests. In that culture, they're, they're Muslim. It doesn't matter what you are, what your background is. If you're coming to their tents, you are a welcome guest. Now, after you leave their property, they may shoot you, actually. But they, when you're there, hospitality is so important. They want to be seen as welcoming Loving, caring people. Maybe you have a grandma like this. When we went to Thanksgiving at my grandma's house, she was in the kitchen from like 8 a.m. to about 7 p.m. cooking. She never actually, you know, she wanted to love on us and care for us and pour blessing on us with all this wonderful food. Only thing she never did was spend time with us. You have a grandma like that? Shelly, my mom's kind of like that. When we leave from my mom's house, she's always like, I didn't get to actually spend time with you. I'm like, yeah, because you're in the kitchen. We were trying to get you to, you know, Shelly helps in the kitchen. I help a little bit, right? And uh, she's so busy being a blessing that she never actually spends time with the people who came to visit with her, you know? You could probably relate with that. Martha was no exception. She fell into probably one of these two categories. Uh, one, she was either working so hard in life that she forgot about Jesus completely, See if you find yourself here. Or she was working so hard for Jesus that she forgot about Jesus. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. If Jesus came to my house, I'd want to give him my best. I would want him to feel so welcome in our house. But you bet I would be listening. If I was in the kitchen whooping something up, I would be listening. I want to hear everything 
he has to say. I want to be as close to him as possible. In Luke 4, verse 38 through 39, Peter's mom, um, Jesus went over to Peter's mom's house. She was really sick, and he healed her. Do you know what she did as soon as he healed her? Immediately, she got up and went into the kitchen and started cooking food for him. It didn't seem like he had a problem with her, but, but with Martha, there was something else going on here. When I see the word much serving, here's what comes to mind. I think Martha was in the kitchen. She did all she needed to, and she's getting kind of ticked off at Mary. It's like, I am in here slaving away, and you're just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's getting madder. I think she probably worked extra long in order to drive home a point, which Mary would be my guess. Martha's in there thinking, can't you see, Mary? I'm in here busy. All these guys came over, and you can't lift a finger. And these guys can't lift a finger. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. There's a temptation with people who work for the Lord in church. Lord, I'm serving you. I teach Sunday school. I give. I'm on the worship team every week for both services. I go to small group. I attend church. I'm on the welcome team. I give blood. I coach football. I don't smoke. Look at these slackers. Could you hammer them, please? Tell them to quit sitting around and help the church. Now, while God calls us to be connected deeply with one another and use our gifts and be intimately involved in a local church, we can get so busy serving and focusing on others that we lose Jesus in the process. But Jesus keeps his focus on Martha here. Uh, Sometime this week, read Luke 8, verse 4 through 15. That is a great passage to help you evaluate yourself. Am I being distracted from Jesus? Am I being distracted in life or even in serving him and have lost him in the process? Don't allow distractions, whether you're working for the Lord or or just doing your own thing, don't allow those distractions to keep you from Jesus. Number three, verse 41, do life with Jesus. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, Kurt, Kurt, or whoever, whatever, put yourself in there. Sorry, Kurt, I had to pick on you. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's a book by Sky Jethani, or however you say his last name, called Wit. You ever hear this book before? I encourage you to pick up the book with. Great book. In it, he describes five postures that people have towards God. I'll go through them quickly. Number one, some people live a what's called a life under the weight of God. What they do, they know God's laws. They, they know God's fierce in that. They try to manipulate God through obedience to secure blessing or avoid calamity. Most religions do this. Steve Johnson for the Buffalo Bills in 2010, uh, they were playing a regular season game, and they lost. And, and he actually caused the loss of the game. And uh, afterwards, they interviewed him, and he 
ranted against the Lord. He said, Lord, I give you 100%. I pray 24-7 to you. I do all these great things, and this is how you do me? Well, forget it. What was he saying there? He's saying, I try to do things, and you know what? You should be blessing me because I'm trying to do things. That's the person who lives a life under God. Then there's the person who lives life over God. See where you fit in here, by the way. They don't really care about God a whole lot. They're not really into it a whole lot. Some people are spiritual. They're not. They, however, will use some of his principles in order to live. There's a lady who wrote a book called Jesus Christ CEO, where she's not really necessarily following the Lord, but she likes some of the principles in the Bible, so she'll use some of them. But other than that, they don't really want a whole lot to do with the relationship with God. The third posture is life from God. That is, he is like a vending machine or like a rotten parent where we use him to meet our desires. We'll go to church, but it's because we want something from him. And that is called the spoiled person, I would say. Uh, They believe he owes us. Uh, Millennials, you're seeing that a lot, that God should be doing handout, handout, handout. And if he doesn't give us a handout, then we're not going to follow him because he's not worthy of our worship if he doesn't worship us, right? Then there's life for God. This person uses the Lord to gain a sense of direction and purpose where God's mission becomes greater than God himself. Which one do you tend to fall into? If you want to borrow a book, you're welcome to borrow a book next week after I finish it again. <laughs> for me, I have noticed that when I get busy working either for, from, over, or under God, I get exhausted. My body gets worn down. My mind gets worn down. My heart is led to frustration, anxiety, health issues, and bitterness. I also, instead of being busy enjoying Jesus, start comparing myself to others, which leads towards bitterness towards others. I liken it to the cup principle. If we constantly outpour, if we're constantly pouring into other people, doing good things, what's going to happen to the cup? It's going to dry out. We need to be pouring out, yes, but... We need to stick so close to the Lord that he can fill us up, that we can pour out and not go dry. But how do you do it when Jesus isn't practically or or, um, physically with us today? In one sense, his body is not here, but in another sense, he is closer to us as Christians than he was back in that day. Open up to John 15, verse 3 through 5. Let me read a couple verses to you. John 15, verse 3 through 5. If I can find it here. Where's John at? John 15, verse 3 through 5. The Lord says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I... Where is Jesus? Someone say? In you. Yes. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus is with us. The Spirit is with us. Hebrews 13.5 says this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, verse 20. Last one we'll look at. It says this. Lo, that's in the King James, I think it means yo, I am with you always, always, to the end of the age. Who is with us always? The Lord. He, his presence is with us. Don't leave him as an afterthought or at the church. Do life with or in communion with Jesus. How does this work out? You ever, you ever driven in Chicago before? Anybody ever drive in Chicago? Explain to me, what, what's life like driving in Chicago? White knuckle. What else? People are all calm, right, driving in Chicago? <laughs> the opposite. I grew up a Chicago driver. Man, I could tell you stories of how awesome of a driver I was. In and out of the lanes. The Dan Ryan Expressway, that was a blast. Do you know that in Chicago, road rage is a thing? <laughs> People are so driven to get home, and they're mad at everybody. They're angry all the time. You know, they're giving gestures to one another. A long time ago, I decided I want to live with Jesus. I want to walk with him. I want to be close to him. Do you know what that did to my driving in Chicago? <laughs> I turn on the radio, some worship music now. I pray when I drive. Guess what's happened? Because I'm going with him driving through the city, I'm a lot less angry. I get places faster because I'm also thinking about him. I don't mind if there's someone slow. And I've learned maybe they're having a health issue. Maybe they're really, they just broke up with their boyfriend. I don't know what's, but I don't get mad at people like I used to. I could love the people. Shelly, I've calmed down a lot driving, haven't I? Glad. <laughs> when you walk through life with the Lord, in communion with him, things change. That drivenness that I used to have driving, Boy, is driving in Chicago a lot easier for me now. It's not frustrating at all, unless something extreme happens, I suppose. I get upset still. I want to give you a smorgasbord of ideas, a golden corral of ideas to apply this passage to life. Uh, number one, embrace the reality that Jesus is always with you. He is with you wherever you shall roam. He's there intimately with you. Try it. The next time you go shopping at Walmart... 
and someone pops into your mind, enjoy some Jesus time right there. Just pray for them as you're walking through Walmart. You don't have to be in a Bible study. You do it right there in Walmart. Or if you're at the checkout line and a lady shares a sorrow, bring church into the house. Right there, you're struggling. Can I just pray for you right now? And you go, you just grab her and, Jesus, you just bring Jesus right to the situation right there because he is right there. Next time you get irritated at the tractor going 20 miles an hour down 231, you can enjoy some Jesus time. Pray for the farmer. Thank God for the good weather, the crops. Thank Jesus that he is right there with you behind the slow tractor. He is closer than a brother. The question is not, Is Jesus with us? He is with us. For point number two, don't allow distractions to keep you from Jesus. Some get busy working for Jesus. Too busy. Some get too busy just working. Often he's an afterthought. There's a lot to do. There's a lot God wants us to do. God wants us to manage creation. He wants us to work the garden. He wants us to love people. He wants us to be on gospel mission everywhere. But God wants you to do it in relationship with him through what is called walking in the spirit. Or, if you want to get real practical, yielding to the spirit. That means you say, hang on a minute, I'm going to slow down. Lord, what do you think about this situation? Don't hide in the kitchen of life. There's no benefit for you in that. Look at your verbiage. Are you saying, are you constantly saying, I'm busy? Nobody cares. When you say to people, I'm so busy, congratulations. You're the only one who cares about that. May we instead become a people who say, as the Lord leads, and then seek the Lord. Uh, when someone invites you over, Lord, do you want me to be a part of this? Instead of just saying, I'm too busy, as a block right away. The question is not, is Jesus with us, but are you with Jesus? For point number three, do life with Jesus. It is not life for Jesus or life under Jesus or life over Jesus or life from Jesus, but life with Jesus. So as we walk busy doing a lot of good things, let us do it in communion with him. There is a lot more peace, a lot more power um, doing it that way. And while we're at it, why don't we do this? Why don't we be the person who invites other people to walk with Jesus and be with him as well? They don't have to be a Christian. If you have a coworker who's struggling with life, walk up to him. Hey, can we go to the Lord together about this in prayer? 95% of the time, those, I've had people say no a couple times. And then I get, no, I, I just say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. Anyhow, I'll just do it privately. Um, but keep me updated. I really want to hear about how things are going. I really care about you. But generally, you can walk up to someone. Can we just, can I pray with you right now? Let's just address the Lord together. Most people are broken in and all of that. Bring, bring them along with you as you walk with him. So can we sit at the feet of Jesus today? Physically, not yet. That's coming. But right now, we can be seated if it means walk with him intimately through our day-to-day. Yes, we can. All right? Let's pray together.